the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to Rob Black on the Money Channel. Now, here's Rob. Welcome in to Rob Black and Your Money, December 17th, 2010. I am crazy looking forward to 2011. 2010 was a pretty good year on the stock market with Dow over 10%, NASDAQ over 15%. I'm crazy looking forward to 2011. I'll tell you why in a couple minutes. Um, I kind of want to bleed this out as much as I can. I want to get some big stories of the day in there as well because there are some big stories today that we need to talk about. First and foremost, Intermune, ticker symbol ITMN. Their shares have more than doubled today. (laughs) Wow, don't you wish you owned it? I do too. I don't. So they announced the Committee for Medicinal Products for Human Use also known as the CHMP of the European Medicines Agency, also known as the EMA, has adopted a positive opinion recommending the granting of a market authorization for Esbriae in adults for the treatment of mild to moderate idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. The opinion came earlier than expected. The company got massive upgrades on it. The stock options yesterday were incredibly bullish. Someone knew yesterday this was going to happen. Now, I don't know anything about the idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis market. I don't know anything about Intermune's market cap. I need to kind of match those two together. If you're going to sell a lot of drugs in the idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis market, how big of a market is it? Is Intermune basically fodder for a big Merck, Pfizer, Eli Lilly, a company who could manufacture the drug and distribute it and market it to doctors? Or is this something that's going to be gangbusters that they say, you know what, we're going to do all that stuff ourselves to save some money? They may not need a partner. I don't know. There's, I swear to you, and you know, at times I got to say, I don't know when I don't know because I always want that credibility from you when I need it. And right now I'm saying this is a huge winner, winner, chicken dinner of a stock. And I can't tell you much more about it. Dow's down 28. NASDAQ's up 5. S&P 500's fractional. Let's move forward with some of the big news day. Because, again, I'm telling you, this is a big news day. And I, I, I like big news days. So leading indicators came out this morning. And they were up 1.1%. I had just gotten done saying that they're not all that important when they came out. And I said, wow, that's kind of important. So this isn't my best prognostication day of my life, if you know what I'm saying. So indicators up 1.1% in November, strongest monthly increase since March. Now, Wall Street didn't do anything on this news. So that's kind of right. But when you start looking into the data here, 7 out of 10 components are known prior to the release. So no one's really jumping up and down and is going, whoa, that's amazing. The fact that the index has increased 19 out of the last 20 months, it should support the notion the economy is gaining strength. Yet there's a notion out there that our economy is struggling. The pace of deliveries, interest rate spreads, jobless claims, the biggest contributors to November reading were, you know, while building permits was the only drag. So now permits is kind of interesting. So there's 10 little components in this indicators. Permits is the one that's interesting because when you get a permit, ultimately you're going to be doing work in the future. For instance, I got a permit to put a new uh, pole in my home. So I have to put concrete in the ground. I got to put a pole in the wall and, and, and basically come up with a new firmness but now that pole ultimately also meant three months of work around that pole if you get a permit to build a house and you you know start breaking ground it's going to take 12 months for the contractor to be finished so it's all about future activity there so that building permits is one of those drags to go yeah would have been nicer so google today was initiated with an outperform over at williams capital 700 price target for a lot of what people look at in wall street in my opinion Sometimes we try to be too smart. Google has got it going on right now. Now, some people are going to be going, but Facebook is going to beat them. I don't think Facebook's going to beat them. I think it's a two-horse race right now. 
One in 12 people in the world's on Facebook. That's a stunning statistic to me. That's a stunning statistic. Uh, so Google gets a nice little upgraded price target. I think Google's in a good position. I don't think they're in the best position they've ever been in, and that's why the stock's not at an all-time high. So Visa was added to a short-term buy list today over at Deutsche Bank. Some new rules tied towards debit cards and credit cards came out yesterday and some analysts are upgrading Visa saying they could they can navigate these waters. So Visa for the record, a lot of people think it's a credit card company and what they really are is a credit card issuer company. They issue cards. So um let's go to K from Los Altos. I just saw K come on the line. How are you, Kay? Yeah, let me tell you what happened yesterday and and see if this helps you and keep in mind I like Visa, but I only like it for a 10 to 20 year hold. I don't like it for the short term. There's too many people thinking that it's a play on credit. There's too many people thinking that it's a play on the economy. And even though economic activity is up, people think economic activity is down. The stock holds 70 well, so I would consider adding more right around that, that price target. So some the new rules came out. And thanks for the call. And let me explain what basically happened yesterday because I think that will give you some interesting insight. The Fed Reserve was going to comment on the Dick Durbin rules. Dick Durbin being a congressional member who said, you know, we need to reform these guys and we don't really know how to reform them because they charge way too much money on debit exchanges. So ultimately yesterday, the sell-off, it was pretty, there, there was little good news in the short term on the Fed's approach. They were pretty much so roundly disappointed by nearly all the key aspects of the draft that came out. So Visa went down on that news. Um, The key interpretations came out harsher than expected. The Fed appeared to take every opportunity to lean towards the merchant side of the highly controversial debate over merchant fees. Um, Most analysts believe the impending massive gap between credit and debit will inevitably lead Congress to revisit the issue, though the near term, it's pretty positive. So take a look at you know, companies like American Express and MasterCard, um, there's an increasing conviction that this is bad legislation and that it's going to hurt Visa and MasterCard in the short term, but it's going to help companies like American Express. So there's a huge paradigm in what's going on with the debit revenue. And, um, well, Obama and Congress wants that fixed. So I would say short term Visa is dead money, $70 stock. Uh, MasterCard's dead money. Uh, 220 $230, $240 stock. That's one got a little bit more price range in it. So um, it's do you believe it in a long-term end or not? That's the big question because the legislation's been a little bit harsher than expected. And um, you know, today I see Deutsche Bank adding Visa to their short-term buy list, saying ultimately that this $70 should be holding where it's going to hold. If you take a look at the actual numbers that came out yesterday, the proposed reduction in interchange was larger than expected, 75% on average, transaction versus a high-end expectation of 60% reduction. The debit interchange fee was set at a flat rate of $0.07 cents to $0.12 cents per transaction. No one really anticipates a significant departure from the draft rules into the final rules. So the Fed given us the basic ideas of the proposed rules. You'll see some lower network fees, not a foregone conclusion. Um, most analysts, though, are saying now that we know we can have Visa and MasterCard deal with it, but short term, uh, Visa's got more debit exposure than MasterCard. So debit revenues equal about 12% at Visa, 9% at MasterCard. That implies you know, uh, similar stock price declines when you start seeing the percentages. So if you're going to own a Visa, you're really going to own it for the long term or not at all. Now, again, longer term, will there be some new technologies that come along that displace credit? There should be. For instance, PayPal has gone a different route of how many people touch money in a transaction. Now, what's unfortunate for American consumers and American merchants is PayPal is not accepted at gas stations. PayPal is not accepted at restaurants. Visa and MasterCard are. So I would probably give you the comparison to Ticketmaster as the best example of Ticketmaster is a situation that tickets are bought and sold on. It's a highway. It's a lot like the same highway that businesses transacted on money with Visa and MasterCard and American Express interchanges. 
So you can go outside that and not get that $7 ticket price, you know, service fee that Ticketmaster charges, but it's just not common to go outside of it right now. But when you do, you're like, sweet, my $60 tickets were actually $60 and, and not a $7 convenience charge. Like that's pretty inconvenient convenience charge, right? So where do I go with this? I'll stick with a story that Visa and MasterCard are pretty much so loved long-term. They're not going out of business. There will be some disruptions in their business model by companies like PayPal who cut out a couple of the people in the process so that the money is cheaper for the merchant. Um, a lot of merchants, you'll see that they don't take American Express because they don't want to pay the high fees. That's the basic story here. A lot of like you know gas stations, I have a debit card. I'll go into the gas station. They go, uh, do you want me to run your Visa's credit? And they're like, there's no difference. I'm like, do whatever you want to do. For them, there's a difference. For them, there's a huge difference in what they ultimately pay in the interchange rates with Visa. So uh, Visa being added short-term to the Deutsche Bank list, I would say it's dead money in the short-term because these rules look more prohibitive. Uh, but I think you'll see that the Visa MasterCards are able to, to guide around them. So FedEx, price target raised $105 today, $92 stock. Earnings were great. Um, they were weaker than expected, but the internal, the reason they missed was positive. It's, it's tough to explain, but FedEx looks like a good play on the outlook for the economy. It's Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. Coming up, 2011, what to look forward to. Every now and then I just feel silly stepping in on the chili peppers. Like, that guy's got a golden voice and don't, don't ruin it. So today we got the Dow down 38 points. NASDAQ's up three, S&P 500's down two. We're a couple hours into trading. The big headlines today are that the House has passed the tax cut extension. We knew that. The question is, we're starting to look at 2011. We're starting to quantify what things are going to look like. Foreclosures and going to be a huge topic. Employment's going to be a huge topic. One of the things that fascinates me and next hour, I'm going to give you a fascinating stock, but I want to talk bigger picture right now. One of the things that totally fascinates me is how pessimistic people can be. One of the reasons I do this show is to try to show people the, the depths of interconnectedness and how we're just not connecting. You got the media who typically, honestly, it seems like they've, they're, they're stunned. They tend to react maybe a little bit too late to stories. There's basically themes out there and their moods and how long they hang out with us and don't. There's squeamish metrics. There's no doubt about it that get people upset. You know, not too long ago, we saw Lehman Brothers collapse and we still feel like that that stink, that death, that that horrible thing still around. We had a teetering economy. We had people tell us that we were that close to World War III in, in financial ruinness. So, but if you take a look psychologically now, we're two years away from 2008. We got some distance between us, and yet two out of three people think that taxes have gone up recently. Two out of three people think that the economy has shrunk Two out of three people think that you know the billions of money that was lent to the TARP, the Troubled Asset Relief Program, would never be recovered. And it's funny. Um, 77% of investors uh, expected the European Monetary Union would crumble and collapse despite a trillion-dollar Eurozone backstop. A lot of people just believed in the hype and the negativity. And what's revealing about all this is... Congress and the Obama administration cut taxes $240 billion since 2009. They did. And again, I'm not an Obama shell, and if anyone ever thinks I'm a Republican or Democrat, you're a fool. Growth continued in 2010. Now, again, a lot of it was government-sponsored. Most major economies outside the United States did pretty good. 2010 was a damn good year, and yet most people don't feel that it was. Two-thirds. The Treasury's going to get a $16 billion profit. Our government's going to get a $16 billion profit from helping the banks. Greece and Ireland, you know, they may have started into the white light of fiscal death. They're yanked back from death. They never actually saw what's on the other side. U.S. non-financial corporations, 
have a record $436 billion in cash. Keep in mind, the financial company has been kind of handcuffed. So the fourth largest profit ever was just reported on the S&P 500. The fourth largest profit ever. What do I have to do to get you excited? Are you that tired of me? Do I need to run around in a thong to get you excited? This is exciting. Wall Street had its fourth largest profit ever. This is, this is exciting. So the things aren't as bad as they seem. And you know why things seem bad? It's because jobs and houses. In the United States, 17% of the workforce either couldn't find employment or was surviving on part-time jobs and wanted more employment. So that collective frustration and scrimping is contagious. We look at our neighbors and we're worried. We see the news and we're worried. There seems to be an unrelenting foreclosure crisis. The notion that you know our government's going to come and save our butts. We saw our government couldn't stop an oil leak for you know 100 days. How do we think they're going to save us? So people really have kind of become jaded, if you know what I'm saying. The whole Tea Party, ferocious. Ferocious out of nowhere they came. They hid behind the Constitution. I think they're going to burn out because I think the we're tired, we're upset, we want our jobs. I think people are going to realize the economy was better than we thought it was. And the Tea Party tried to take advantage of that. The America that we want, it's been gone for years. Cheap labor and plentiful resources combined with ease of travel and communication, it gave the emerging markets more than their place at the table. They became employed and middle class. So in India, competition for deals has become so intense that there's a a billionaire guy named Ravi Rui. He's starting to branch out into Africa. He's buying coal mines. Like He's like, things are so crazy here. Consumer electronics, anything that you want is being made now. So capitalism lives off change, and we all need to embrace it. It's critically important for that. Apple and Microsoft, we'll talk about the changes in 2011. Coming up. You're listening to Rob Black and your money on KDOW 1220, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Where will the Dow go in 2011? Plus, I got some hints, tips, strategy, ideas for you. Don't be shy. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, You know, people are afraid. And yet, if you look at the facts, it's not that bad. People are afraid, but if you look at the truth, there's going to be big IBOs in 2011, which should push the tech market and our economy higher. Thank you, Facebook. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. Welcome back in to Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, December 17th, 2010, eight days till Christmas. Have you finished your shopping is the big question, right? I suppose. I did a little video work yesterday, and one of the things that I mentioned, uh, I was asked my favorite movie of all time for Christmas, and it has to be the movie Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. He was wealthy. No one loved him. And, oh, did I mention he was wealthy? And then later in life, in the last ten minutes of the movie, it kind of got all fake and phony, where he started giving away his money, and everyone started loving him. Telling you that truly money does buy you friends and happiness. What a horrible lesson to teach our children. The reality is the government's not going to take care of you and Social Security stinks. You see Tiny Tim, medical care system didn't really take care of him and his family too well. You better take care of yourself. Stop giving away your money. (laughs) Do I really mean that? Maybe. I think you need to be careful. How many Christmas presents do we regret? How many big gifts for... Lovers and friends, do we regret? I, psh, I can come up with a couple. A couple dollars that I wish I still had me pocket versus her pocket. So Dow's down 33, NASDAQ's up 5, SP 500 down 1. We're at the end of the year. We're talking about all the things that we're seeing changes. There's investment opportunities on a regular basis. There's new IPOs. There's yesterday, the big story was... The proposed changes to Visa and MasterCard will probably hurt the companies or cause them to create more of a a diversion tactic to get around it. They'll get around it. They're not going out of business anytime soon. And that's how Wall Street works. 
So it's not life or death sometimes. It's how do you get around the situation to move forward. Let's talk a little bit about... um, Good golly. Let's let's take a look at some of the other stories. I'm going to talk about an IPO that came out recently. But I want to wait a little bit to do that. In large part, I don't want you to get too excited. I don't want you to run into it and say, I got to get it. I'll talk about that IPO in the next segment. It's a stock... And it's going gonna, it's gonna to flip you out because you're going to say, I never knew. So yesterday or this week, we had big headlines like Congress passing the $858 billion tax plan. The ECB increased their capital cushion. Today, we see a big one. Bank of Montreal buying Marshall and Isley, putting a lot of regional banks back into action in, in, on my investment radar. Is it the start of something bigger by big banks acquiring small banks? Good question. Oracle topped expectations, and they provided better-than-expected guidance. If you think 2011 is going to be doom and gloom, you're wrong. There's just too many companies out there saying 2011 looks good. And I'm going to go with them versus going with you on your doom and gloom story. Let's take a quick look. Oh, um, you know what came out today that was pretty good? It was leading indicators showing uh, growth in 19 out of the last 20 months. That's I take my hat off to that. So I definitely take my hat off to that. There's no doubt about it. So we got, you know, a little bit of a gain going on today. Not much. We'll see where we end up at the end of the day. A lot of people are thinking, I saw the NASDAQ 100 yesterday. It's within 20 points of, of its all-time high. Now, that doesn't mean you jump into it and go, woohoo, happy days are here again. It shows you that there's a difference between the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100. It shows you that there's a difference in indices that should be noted. The Dow, for instance, needs to rise 23% next year to return to a record high. It's risen 23% before. I don't think 2011 it's at the cards. I think that's too much to ask for. The Dow has soared 76% in the past 21 months. It would have to climb 23% just to get to that record of uh, a record close. It's a pretty big jump. So the Dow has risen 23% or more six times since 1985, so it's not impossible. It's risen 23% or more one in four years. That was When I saw that, I'm like, God, I remember that. That was good times. So the question is, are there enough conditions in place for the rally to continue and for the rally to get that much higher? I think there's some compelling reasons out there to say the Dow will approach its highs, not next year, but the year after. Ultimately, right now, we've got a fairly rosy conditions for stocks. It's not bad. And I'll tell you, like, for instance, again, I don't think I'm the coolest guy on the planet. I think I'm doing something other people aren't doing. So you got to give me some credit on this. Corporate bonds. America has refinanced in the last two years. Honestly, America's refinanced in the last 10 years. And what the heck do I mean by that? Ever since terrorism hit, we've been on this march towards lower interest rates, lower interest rates, lower interest rates. Now, Japan did that in the 1990s, and they're still at lower interest rates. So it could lead to prolonged lower interest rates. But I like the fact that corporate America has refinanced and gone global. And I like the fact that you as a homeowner have probably refinanced in the last 10 years. If you haven't, contact me and let's get you a refinance going sooner rather than later. So corporate bonds, I think, provide a decent income for investors despite the lack of potential for stocks to appreciate. Interest rates on cash investments like CDs or money markets are in the basement. Corporate earnings keep rising, which makes stocks more appealing and their debt more attractive because they can pay it down. Now, keep in mind, like for instance, companies like GE, they used to have a lot of debt issued at 6, 7, 8% that they've redone to 2, 3, 4, 5%. So the economy, I think, is going to help in 2011. I think it's, it's enough there. Since the Great Recession is what we're calling it, ended last June, the economic expansion is only one and a half years old. Expansions since World War II have lasted an average of five years. The Dow doesn't always have the year of recovery marks. Uh, it's second anniversary, but the third it does. So 
last time in we were coming out of a recession, the third year was the best. The Dow jumped 25% in 2003. So I don't know. I'm not trying to get you all that excited. But let's take a look at how the Dow made a leap of more than 23% six times since 1925. So 1985, which was the third straight year of economic growth, think Reagan, GDP growth was about 4.1%. You had a deep recession. It ended in November 1982. It was fueled a 28% growth in the Dow. Inflation rate remained stable for a fourth straight year, convincing investors that the inflation monster of the 1970s had been contained. Now, in 1989, it was mergers and acquisitions that, that helped the Dow up 27%. That was the big story, M&A activity. Colbert, Kravis, and Roberts, they bought RJR Nabisco, largest corporate deal the country had ever seen. In August, the Dow regained the level it had reached in August 1987, which was two months before the year's Black Monday crash in 87. In 1995, the market was up 33%, the Dow was. It was tied towards the largest economic expansion in U.S. history, the longest economic expansion in U.S. history. And that's what some people, they thought that was the norm. Now, more Americans were putting more money into stocks in the 90s. 401k accounts were seeing inflows big time. The number of households owning stocks jumped to 41%, 37%. So there's a lot of fundamental things that changed. That can happen again because people will start coming back to the market chasing greed and fear. Now, the Dow, it rose another 26% in 1996. Stocks gained so much of the Federal Reserve, basically, uh, Chairman Alan Greenspan, you know, he said, is there an irrational exuberance going on? In 1999, strong corporate profits and excitement about the Internet pushed the Dow up another 25%. Earnings per share for the companies in the S&P 500 jumped 28%. This is all possible again. Nothing's impossible. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money. Rob Black and Your Money. I am the aforementioned Rob Black. Coming up, I'm going to talk an IPO. Is it a good idea for you? Yes, no, or maybe so. Rob Black and Your Money. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. December 17th, 2010. One of the stocks that I wanted to talk about has recently been in the news. And to be quite honest, I think it was on Kramer's show and someone sent me an email and said, hey, the stock was on Kramer's show. Can you talk about it? First and foremost, I want to say, screw you. I'm not your little Kramer follow-up dude. But I'll, I'll, I'll honor this request this time. But keep in mind, that's kind of a rude thing to ask someone. So tap water, water, soda, sparkle. There's a company called SodaStream coming out of Israel. And if you listen to some radio shows in the morning, sometimes you'll hear, hey, we got this great new product that makes soda. So I've heard the commercials, and basically they're paying on-air talent money to use SodaStream. SodaStream manufactures home carbonation systems that are used by consumers to make soft drinks and sparkling water from tap water, i.e. you can make soda in your own house. (laughs) Now, the company's systems... They sell through some 35,000 retail stores. They include decorative countertop soda makers, uh, soda bottles, CO2 cylinders, various soda flavors. Um, it's a cool idea for a Christmas gift, right? So, soda Streams also offers CO2 refills and cylinder exchanges to the world. So they got that business model of a lot like GE where they sell the razor, where they lose money selling you this big, super expensive it's got five razor blades, Mach 5. Who needs a razor that goes five times the speed of sound? I don't, but that's the question. You know, it's like, yo, it's super marketed. So they make money the same way on the refills, not the first time you buy it. Much like the way Microsoft and Sony make money on their work through video games. Not on the hardware, but the time that you go back and buy the software is the second, third, fourth time. There's not a lot of people who compete with this company. I would probably say Coca-Cola and Pepsi. But also, they don't really do the home systems, right? I would say maybe the coffee companies that do the home systems a little bit. But I don't think so. So there's not a lot of people competing with this company. It IPO'd at $22 a share. It instantly went to 35 It pulled back to 30 It went to 42 It's pulled back to 30 again. Of course, Kramer recommended it 45 And here it is, down 50%. So the question is, will his attention that he gave it help it? 
Keep in mind, those of you who watch Kramer, you're not exactly the smartest. Um, you're looking for someone to cheat and give you the answers, and he's more than willing to do it because he needs his ego stroked. He wants to be your Buddha and your guru, but there's actually a study out that there's a monkey at Harvard who picks more correctly than he does. Now, he actually beats the monkey in performance over time, but in percentage of winners, the monkey beats him. Now, on any given year, Jim Cramer says that he likes over 600 stocks. On any given year, I might say that I like 60. I think you need to be a little bit choosier and a little bit picky. But let's keep talking about the SodaStream company, shall we? Because I can. It's had an amazing run following its IPO. The company has its flaws. It's a small Israeli company that makes home beverage carbonation systems. It's been growing at a rapid clip. It's, had many pro- it's been profitable for several years. They already got distribution in place in the United States. To my knowledge, they're the first company to make comparisons between you know, sodas, razor, and razor blades, business model. There's a company that did it last year called Green Mountain Coffee. Go take a look. GMCR. It was a huge winner until it fell apart. Now, that doesn't mean you can't make money trading it. The stock has a little bit of a sleeper feel. Now, I don't know the product. I can tell you Green Mountain's coffee, the one-cup coffee machine. Love it. Love making myself a hot, fresh cup of coffee. Love it. it. It's like one of the best things on the planet, to be quite honest with you. Is there not? Honestly. I'm not going to make a comparison to you know, what I shun it. But good cup of coffee. It's tough to beat. It is. Like, if you were to offer me a good cup of coffee versus a, a woman with all her teeth. Ooh, boy. Oh. Oh, boy. I'm going with a cup of coffee more than likely. But that's me. So um, there you go. A little bit more on SodaStream. Ticker symbol SODA. Let me give you some financials on this one. And again, it's out of Israel, so I don't know everything I should know on it. $126 million in revenue, $140 million in revenue, $150 million in revenue in the last three years. Can't beat that. Operating margins have been pretty consistent at 10%. So that's going to be kind of important to me going forward. I want to see where their operating margins are and their gross profit margins have been steady at 54 to 56% in the last three years. If they start deviating from that, that could be a problem. They got plenty of cash. They're profitable. They got a gimmicky product. Do I think this is a product that will like be selling 10, 20, 30 years from now? That like, oh my God, we all have to make soda in our house and, and get the, the CO2 refills. I don't think it's all that. But I, I, I think you're getting where I'm coming at. I think I could stop right there. Next segment, I want to talk a little bit about California's real estate market. But first, before I go there, I want to talk about GE. Great Googling Moogler, right? GE, to me, looks like a big winner in the year 2011. In large part, it's been a financial company that has had a rough run. It hasn't had the total recovery as a lot of the NASDAQ stocks has and some of the non-financial stocks have. I think it looks cheap. I think there's they got a nice dividend. I think this is one of those stocks that can be up 40 50% in 2011 and, and actually lead the market. And I'll give you five letters why. C-H-I-N-A. General Electric is a massive play on China, and I think they're more right than wrong. So CEO Jeff Immelt, he provided an optimistic forecast on the firm. He talked to investors during the company's annual meeting. He explained that, you know, uh, though demanding the steps taken after the crisis have been good for GE. He caused them to take a step back and, and think. He said China is a promising region. He's paring back the size of their financial branch slightly, but they still have a leveraged feel to them. They're doing a lot of M&A, which makes me a little nervous, but I think they're a play for 2011. I think they're one of the bigger winners out there. With that said, coming up, I'm going to be talking housing, but first and foremost, the Dow's down 33, the NASDAQ up four, the S&P 500 down one. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. You won't find this funny, but I do. I've got a podcast at Apple iTunes. I know you're saying you're part of the Apple media world empire. Yeah, I, I kind of am. Is autographs? Sure. Anyone actually could do it. So I podcast every day. It's outside the radio show. It allows me a little bit more freedom that the FCC doesn't allow me, i.e. being frank and, and crude. 
and saying there's no way I would do this or that. In the world of stocks, it gives me a little bit more protection. I have to be careful. I can get on the air and tell you this is my favorite stock of all time, and you go out and buy it and lose money, and ultimately lawsuits start flying. I'm considered a fiduciary, so if you do sue me, I have the protection of the fiduciary status. Part of that, though, comes with I'm not allowed to lie to you. I'm not allowed to mislead you. I'm not allowed to you know, shank you in any way, shape, or form. So it's something I take pretty seriously. Some people on occasion with my podcast will email me and go, you didn't get it up exactly at 1 o'clock like you thought you would. And they get all mad at me. And keep in mind, I'm not a publisher. I'm a guy who, who makes money on Wall Street. I'm a guy who's got a lot of experience. I do the best I can for you. So get off my back on occasion. I'm not. That's one of the reasons I don't do newsletters. I used to do this beautiful, well-designed newsletter. And it's actually kind of funny because... Uh, when Apple was at $6 stock in 2000, I said, should you be buying Apple? And uh, it was a great article, and I, I made a case for it. Beautiful, beautiful. But what I found was when you did a newsletter, and, you know, some people will charge 499 but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to hose you. My name's not Bob Brinker. He'll hose you with expensive newsletters. I won't do it. And also the reason I won't do it is because I'll charge 39 bucks. I'll charge something that covers the cost of printing which is actually pretty expensive, believe it or not, and mailing. I covered that, and then people would be like, I didn't, I paid $40, and I didn't get my newsletter on the 5th of the month. I want my money back. So I, that's you people have made me hate people. <laughs> oh, yes, that's true. Um, so, yeah, I, I've kind of pulled back from some of that. But I want to talk about housing this segment. And the importance of it. In California, I think we all know people who have fallen in love with real estate. Those conditions aren't here to fall in love again. So you got to be very, very cautious. The median home price, it fell 2.3% year over year in the state of California. Do you know what the median home price in California is? I'm going to give you a second to think about it. $255,000. What am I doing with a million-dollar home? Am I stupid? The answer is yes. For many, many, many years. And Mark, if you chop that up, I'm going to kill you. Mark's my producer, and I just said on air, am I stupid? The answer is yes. Um, Statewide sales declined about 3.9% in last month. Year over year, down about 12%. Month to month, down about 4%. So California's housing market, it slowed in November. Both sales and prices fell. Some economists predict further declines next year if more foreclosures hit the market and the job engine remains sluggish, which I think it's going to. I mean, again, in California, all you got to do is look at Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown? Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown? Jerry Brown. That's a tribute to the Talking Heads and James Brown. James Brown. Which actually wasn't the Talking Heads. It was the spinoff band of the Talking Heads. It was the Talking Heads without David Byrne. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so all you got to do is look at James Brown and Jerry Brown. And we're screwed in California. We're either looking at higher taxes, which means more less money for you and me. Or we're looking at massive cuts in services, which means jobs are gone. We're talking about a $40 billion problem. And just to give you an idea, you can't fire every state employee and and even come close to saving 10% of that. So we got problems. California's home price recovery began with the state's least expensive properties, those that are so beaten down from the fallout from the subprime mortgage that both investors and first-time purchasers saw opportunities. So things are starting to improve a little bit. The fact that the economy is improving is positive. Some economists believe that the trend could be reversing right now with the absence of tax credits, both on the state and federal level, and just ultimately a weak job market. Rising interest rates. Yesterday, I talked to Joe Cucera from Partners Mortgage for an hour, and we talked about higher interest rates. And what it means to you is you could actually buy less home. There's a great investor named Ron Mullenkamp. And you spell his last name, it's odd. Let me spell it for you. M-U-H-L-E-N-K-A-M-P. 
And dudes, if you want to impress chicks, go read some Ron Mullenkamp annual reports from the last 20, 30 years. He'll teach you so much about the economy. He's one of the greatest investors of all time. No one knows who he is. That's fine by me. He's one of those guys that gets it done. But um, he teaches you about mortgage rates and interest rates. And what you're actually buying is the mortgage, not the house. And the cost of money. So analysis of statewide home price data released this week by an investment bank found that prices for the state starter homes, i.e. those that cost under 417000 they actually fell for the first time in October. So the opportunity investors move it aside. If October's declines continue over the next several months, it may threaten the stability that has prevailed in the lower price market. Now, there's a company called Data Quickers that's out of San Diego. They said that 31,000 newly built homes, previously owned homes, were sold statewide last month. That's about a 4% decline from October and a 12.5% decline from last year on a month-over-month basis, year-over-year month basis. So in the Bay Area, November sales were down 11.2%. And the median house of, median price of a home in, in the Bay Area, $380,000. In Southern California, $287,000. So, hmm. Foreclosures constitute about 37% of the statewide resale market, up from a revised 36%. In other housing news, the Commerce Department reported that national housing starts in November were up 3.9%. I just can't make that good of a case on California right now. I, and again, I own in California. I think the low end has the damage has been done. I don't think the damage has been done to the high end. Maybe it won't. I live on a street where every house is over a million dollars. Stop and think about that for a second. That means I need doctors or lawyers or wealthy people to move into my home. In theory, you can pay about two and a half times your revenue to buy a home. So if you make 100000 a year, you can afford 250000 I need people to make at least three hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand. Now, how many people do we really know out there doing that? Now, again, you're saying, Rob, they don't actually have to make that much money because they got a down payment. How many people have equity in their home? That's fallen significantly. So it is going to be a tougher challenge to get people to move into my home. It is going to be a problematic situation. So Twitter. Tweet, tweet, tweet. I've got a Twitter account. Why? Because I'm famous. I'm like Mr. October. I'm huge. I've got a Twitter account. Okay, they give them away for free. Don't tell anyone, okay? People follow me on Twitter. They think I'm like a, a celebrity tennis player. Twitter actually became a truly global phenomenon. Hit 25 billion tweets recently. Most of the important tweets come from overseas markets where they're not telling us that Hey, I'm at a club. I see my friends over in the corner. So globally, Twitter attracted 104 million visitors in October, up 79% from the year before. So that's interesting to note. So Twitter's getting a little bit of an international thing going on, right? Why? Because growth in the United States has started to stall. Page views in the United States are up 23% annually. One encouraging metric is the U.S. is up 48% as far as the site goes, and that indicates users are finding the new design, which rolled out last October, to be a little more engaging. 24 million unique visitors a month. That makes Twitter about the size of Yelp. It's not that big. It's kind of a tall midget, if you know what I'm saying. So small. it's kind of a tall, small person. Let me be politically correct. Twitter needs to reignite growth if they want to be anything important. Because, like, Huffington Post gets more face pages than uh, uh, Twitter. 26 million at the Huffington Post. LinkedIn gets 28.5 million. Of course, no one's going to be as big in the weight class as Facebook. 152 million U.S. visitors. They're studs. So, I was talking to an employee from uh, Facebook the other day, talking about Mark Zuckerberg and how he just seems like a lost person. Like, there's something not right with him. He stares at you in long stares. He de- I don't think he's got eyelashes or eyelids. Like there's something weird. He 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 doesn't. He's kind of like a big old insect. He's like a praying mantis. So coming up, I want to talk a little bit about bottled water as an investment. Bottled water as an investment. 
I'm going to give out some statistics that are going to surprise you on bottled water. Bing, getting a little bit older, a little bit more mature, a little bit more developed. YouTube, what, who are they shopping for next? This will tell you where media is going. This will tell you what investment is, is new venture capital should be all about right now. I got this much, much more for you. Come on, people, or your phone calls. 800-516-1220. I'm disappointed in the phone call activity. 800-516-1220. Coming up, water, YouTube, and Bing. I'm Rob Black and your money, 1220, K-D-O-W. I'm back. Can't get rid of me that easily. It's Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Missed the big old Christmas lunch and yesterday at the radio station. But I'm here. Yeah, to being I'm, I'm missing you, unfortunately. I'm not recommending shorting Citibank, uh, so you and I are probably on different wavelengths regardless. Shorting stocks is tougher than going long stocks because we bought pet rocks in the 1970s. You may be right, but people may just still you know fool you and, 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 and perplex you. A guy named T. Boone Pickens. I should bring up his name on occasion. He's one of those hedge fund managers that I dig. He's one of those Texans that wears the big old Texan hat. I'm pretty sure when he's on Wall Street, he's got two six-shooters. He isn't your average hedge fund manager. He actually took advantage of that whole deep well drilling issue tied towards the Gulf of Mexico oil spill. He's the kind of investor who makes directional bets. Some are staggeringly big wins. Some are staggeringly big losses. In 1997, he lost 90% in less than two years in the commodity funds. Recently, if you take a look at his trading, once the BP oil well spill hit, he added BP, Schlumberger, Noble Corporation, and QEP to his portfolio. He sold off his Transocean into Smith International. He increased his Apache position. He's having a hell of a good year. He's one of those investors that knows how to take advantage of bad situations. And I've learned a lot from him on that. Let's go to Dennis in San Francisco. Dennis? Yeah. I think if you're going to try to take a loss and harvest a loss in a Bank of America, you want to buy it back after 30 days. Is that right? Yeah. What I would do if you're going to do that is I would get some sort of exposure for the next 30 days to a banking index or a banking stock that's similar, maybe like a Goldman Sachs, so that if that sector moves, you get that movement and you don't feel like you're having to chase performance. Um, that's the only thing I would warrant or you know caution you on is if you're going to harvest a loss and you got to wait 30 days, it'll make you mad. It'll make you crazy if you don't have some sort of hedge into the industry or some sort of underlying exposure. Uh, right now, it looks cheap. There's no doubt about it. Now, we know that Julian Assange, who in my opinion should have been Times Man of the Year, he's got something that he's going to intent. He's intent on linking some bank information. And a lot of people believe that's going to be Bank of America that gets hit on this. Um, in large part, maybe how the whole Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs thing played out. Will there be racketeering or not? But uh, Bank of America, is, it's to me... If you're going to sell it for a tax loss, make sure you get something that's similar to get you that that similar type of exposure uh, so you can buy it back. But I got no problem with you buying. I have no problem with you uh, uh, trying to harvest tax loss. I think that's one of the smartest things people could do. And um, I I don't stop and mention that enough, Dennis. So I'd give you the caller of the week if I had an award. Uh, You'd get it because I appreciate the the stock loss uh, harvesting kind of question that you threw at me, Dennis. Thanks for the call, and uh, feel free to call whenever you want. Uh, one stock, not one stock, but one industry that's in trouble, or is it, or isn't it, or is it, or isn't it, is bottled water. So the plastic in the the bottled water, you're supposed to never, ever, never drink bottled water if it's been in the sun because the plastic heats up and basically it's in your system at that point in time. I don't know. A lot of people, a lot of youngins. Uh, which is totally different than biggins, but a lot of youngins are going out and um, you know getting metal containers. So Danone with the Evian brand, their sales were up 8.7% last quarter. Nestle was up 7.8%. A lot of people believe Nestle is one of the financers of the Iraq war because 
they're getting they're selling so much bottled water to the U.S. troops that it's crazy. So in both cases, bottled water sales outpaced larger company sales by two percentage points. So there's big money in bottled water. And it's kind of an emerging market consumer trend now where the United States is starting to get a little tired of it. But on a long-term basis, it's the emerging markets who are, are pushing it. Uh, rising incomes and clean drinking water are the two big issues that people have most to desire for. Fizzy drinks are out. Bottled water is in. Nestle looks well-positioned for this. That's all I got for you. I'll be back. There's no doubt about it. Monday. Happy holidays, everyone. Enjoy your family. And uh, I'll talk to you Monday morning when the markets open back up and you need some insight into those markets. 1220 KDOW, Rob Black and your money. Find me on iTunes at Rob Black and your money. Secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.